Welcome to Out With Dan, the podcast that spotlights and examines the voices of LGBTQ authors, characters, and our allies. Together, we lift our voices and we tell our stories. I'm Dan White. Join me as I chat with this week's author. Hello and welcome back to Out With Dan. I'm so excited today to talk to Nima Avashia about her book, Another Appalachia. If I ever hit the book in the middle of the screen one time, I'm going to be a happy man. <laughs> welcome, Nima. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be here with you. I am so excited about this book. It showed me a different slice of life that I recognized a lot of the same things from growing up in the South. And I also saw some things that I did not know. Um, how long have you been out of West Virginia? For as long as I lived in West Virginia, actually, at this point, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, I was born there. I lived there all the way through high school. My parents stayed there until about 2003, and then they moved because my dad's job moved. Um, and so it's really, it's half and half at this point. One, there like, you go. You know, I love it. I've been out of North Carolina now longer than I lived there. So I, I celebrate that part. Yeah, I and do. I think... For both of us, probably, it's like, even though we've been away, it doesn't mean you lose those connections. That's very true. That was one of the things that I noticed in reading your book that on some of your trips back, how the landscape changes and how some of the things stay the same as far as some people's attitude. Um, I was, there were lots of great highlights and stuff. I think one of the saddest things for me to start off on sort of a sad note was your dad's friend who had yeah. been so close to him who has now gone so far in the opposite direction. And I see that sometimes when I return to North Carolina, some of the people I went to high school with were hardcore uh, pot smokers and rebels, and, and now they can't get close enough to the church. And I'm like, yeah. I don't want to put them down, but at the same time, it's sad to me that sometimes as people age, they become so much more restrictive. Yeah, I also think that we live in a context where, um, where politicians really feed on polarization, right? And also, I think social media can be a really polarizing space. Um, I think it doesn't have to be. I think it can be a very connective space, especially for queer people. I think especially for rural queer people, social media can be like the first place where you find people like you. So I'm not trying to say it's all one thing or the other, but I do think that um, sometimes in the context of social media, when we're not getting that in-person connection, people get flattened to just the things that they post or just the things that they write um, or just the things that they share. And I think that politicians exploit that flatness. Um, and so I think the combination of those two factors has really put us in a tough spot as a country um, where people who did care about each other and did love each other and did see each other as more than just politics, more than yeah. just who you voted for, um, we've reached a place where like kind of who you vote for is all of who you are. Um, I feel the same way. You know, it's I'm fairly liberal in most places. In some places, I'm conservative. I do accounting for a day job. So there are some things that I see both sides, but I try to keep an open mind how I know you're a teacher. Mm -hmm. So education is very important to you as it is to me. We cannot educate ourselves if all we do is vote the same way or think the same way. We have an opportunity with, as you say, social media, 
books like yours. I mean, I saw some, I learned a lot of things I didn't know. And it's, it's so easy to want to grow, but some people don't want to. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I actually, I have a lot of faith in people, which is maybe a strange thing to say, given the time that we live in. But I really believe that people want complexity and they want nuance. Like, I think as human beings, we want those things. If you think about shows that become like really popular, um, a lot of those shows that become very popular in this moment are shows that highlight complexity. People are messy, right? Think yes. about like a show like The Sopranos. Tony Soprano is the most messy character I can think of. Like, how can you both be so violent and so caring and loving and have all these pieces of you? I think people actually want that. I don't think they always get it from media, from the publishing world. I think there is an assumption that people can't hold complexity. And so they get fed these really flat narratives. But I think in reality, all of us are complicated and nuanced. We all have a lot of parts to us. And when we read things that reflect that, I think that's when we feel like most seen is when it's like, oh, other people also are all of all of the messy and complicated things together. Like we can be all those things at the same time. That permission, I think, is really powerful for people. But um, I don't feel like that's what we get to see often enough in what we're offered uh, as narratives, particularly about places like Appalachia, which get um, rendered and the South. I think they just get rendered in such flat, flat ways um, that don't highlight the nuance. I was just in Texas. My family lives there now. And, you know, Texas, we're in Austin and you're walking around and Texas, it's a, it was more integrated than anywhere I go in Boston. You had like mm -hmm. groups of people, the spaces were more integrated, the tables, like if you were in a restaurant, the tables, people were dining with people of different backgrounds, different races, different identities. I think a lot of people in the North have this perception of the South as like segregated and racist mm -hmm. and all these things. And yet in my day to day in Boston, the level of segregation that I see and experience is far higher than what I saw in Austin. I went to my niece's band practice and the band was like amazingly diverse, all kinds of identities represented there. School that I teach at is highly segregated. So I think they're just these sort of like flat ideas that we have about place and people. Um, that don't really reflect reality. And when people see the reality reflected, it's really exciting for them, but it doesn't happen enough. I agree with you 100%. You know, one of the things, having grown up in the South in the late 60s and early 70s, was segregation was still, it wasn't necessarily legal, but it was still practiced in some counties close to where I grew up. But to know that the biggest busing uh, segregated ban was actually in Boston. That's right. You know, something that, and you know, we get a chance to paint our history, right? I mean, that's that's what a lot of people do. They want to romanticize about the history. And it's also easy to put someplace else down. As you say, you know, a lot of people think that Texas is so horrific. I happen to have been to a lot of places in Texas and love it. I also have been to a lot of places in the South where I know the people and I realize they're not nearly as nice as they paint themselves to yes. be on the surface. Yeah. So when we dig a little deeper and there again, that is something about your book you bring to growing up in West Virginia, something I didn't know. I had no idea. Uh, this is going to sound so bad, but I really had no idea there were people of Indian descent living right. in West Virginia. I've been through West Virginia three times. Um, I saw mostly people that looked like me. So it was a nice celebration for me to know that there are people of different ethnicities and different backgrounds living in a place like that. 
because it has the ability to enrich this area where people of diversity are, no matter yeah. what the diversity is. That's right. And in the South of Appalachia, immigrant tradition is old. It is not a new Very thing, old. right? Very no. old. Like I went to school with kids whose grandparents were Hungarian or were of Lebanese descent, like who had immigrated like even 50 years before my parents did. Um, it is, it's not new. Um, no. You go to the Mississippi Delta, there've been Chinese folks there for generations, right? But again, exactly. there's this question about like, what are the stories we tell about geography and place in our country? Who do we show and who do we hide when we tell those stories? And I think it is a place where more and more people who come from those places who don't represent the dominant identity are, are starting to say, wait a minute, like, I think we have to tell this story because no one else is telling it. Like, it's not it's not visible if we don't make it visible. That's right. And it is it is our stories. You know, one of one of the things that I, I'm learning still, I'd learn as much as I can, is how many narratives have been written in history books in this country that only show a very narrow view of the history of this country. It took people from all over the world to help build this country, to make it as great as it is. And yet we only want to show a very narrow slice of yeah. life. So when I find a book that shows me another slice of life, I celebrate that because it's so important to know that we all make up the fabric of this country. Yeah, and I, I mean, I am part of that slice, so I think it probably shapes how I think about it. But I guess I don't see that as a threat. No, right? I, I think there that some people view this acknowledgement of a diverse history or a diverse present as a threat, and I guess I wish that we could be in a place where we where that wasn't the frame because that doesn't need to be the frame. Um, no, and, and it's, it, it's, it's a frame that harms. Like it's a it's a really hard frame for people to have. It's it's a fear. You know, this is something that I recognize and I come back to time and time again. You know, people, some people fear. And uh, sadly, a lot of those get elected. Mm -hmm. And so that fear becomes what they manipulate others with. And they, they say, oh, well, this person is taking your job or this person is, right. oh, this person is infiltrating your family. And these are things that it's like, in my way of believing, we were all created by one creator. That's my belief. And I'm like, so if my creator is supposed to be perfect, how could my creator have created someone who's not perfect for this right. world? And I, it just, it, it's something I would promise not to take out my soapbox because I can <laughs> certainly get on my soapbox about that. So. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's right. And I think that um, when you get politicians sort of like painting that, that broad picture, like it's easy for people to forget their individual relationships, right? It's easy yes. for people yes. or for people to say, oh, well, like you're not that kind of person, but like everyone else is. Um, and I think that is where books become really important and stories become really important because it, I think it's the counter narrative, right? It's the, it's the alternative to um, currently there is a politician in Ohio running for the Senate who ran a really, really dis disrespectful racist campaign ad um, effectively on the narrative that you said, oh, this group of people is coming, they're taking our jobs, they're ruining our country and whatever else. And it's like, well, how do you combat that? You combat that with nuance. 
Like the the only way you can combat that kind of stereotyping and flatness and really violence, I think it's a kind of violence, is by being like, no, no, it's way more complicated than that. Like, here are stories that are more complicated. Here are stories where you see people's full humanity. Here are stories where you understand why people come here and what happens when they come here and what their experiences are. Um, And I think that like it's you have to have so much volume of that nuance to counter the flatness of those violent narratives. Yes, and I celebrate that. You know, that that truly is one of the reasons that I do this podcast and podcast is because I want to celebrate those voices and, you know, and get them out into the world. We may reach two people or two million people. It's hard to know, but every person we reach, it's important. Definitely. So I also, so we've been a little heavy. Now I want to talk about something that just blessed my soul so much that I enjoyed reading. You have a chapter about the nine goddesses. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I, I delighted in it. It was so loving. It was such a lovely portrait of people who were in your life. And I, I loved it. Um, are any of them still in your life? Yeah, um, all of them. Uh, some of them have passed away, um, but but the, the the people who are still in my life are still in my life and still very much my my second moms, which is, you know, my second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. You know, um, <laughs> kind of why I wrote that essay was like, I I really feel deeply that I was raised by a lot of people. I think that comes through in the book is, and I think it's a funny thing where it's a very Appalachian thing and it's a very Indian thing and it's a very queer thing all at the same time that we have chosen family. Um, yes. And like, what does it look like to honor the people who choose you um, and choose to make you theirs? I think is really what I was trying to think about in that essay. Um, it's really a love letter to them, I think. Um, and they are just incredible women who've taught me a ton. Um, and so I felt, felt like, The idea for that essay came during the season that it describes, which is Navratri. Like it was this kind of weird thing where it all came together at the same time, that it was that time of year. And I was thinking about them and I was like, wait a minute, I think I can put these two things together. Um, And it is, it's an essay that gives me a lot of joy too, just because um, you don't often get to do that where you sort of like write your love for people. Hmm. I agree with you on that. I, I, it gave me a little bit of pause to think, I have been gone away from North Carolina for a long time, and there are things that I romanticize, and there are things that perhaps I might have put into a little bit of mental context over the years that was not so positive. That um, essay made me think of people that I considered the same way, and I had maybe not thought of them that way Mm -hmm. in a while. And it gave me a chance to celebrate that because it is, as you say, there, there is something about Appalachia and about growing up Southern, that your family is integrated with you, like it or not, you know, some of them more positively than (laughs) others, but it is, it is, it's a a tradition and it's an honor. And the saying, it takes a village is very true. And especially also in the queer community where that village is so important to us. And we're, (laughs) Here am I going on my soapbox again. I mean, we're in a period where book banning seems to be so popular and it is so heartbreaking to me because the things that family that we support each other, 
That should be what we're looking instead of banning books. We should be looking to promote people to write a book that's different than someone else wrote. Yeah, yeah. It is this funny thing, right? I think at the there is this Venn diagram of for me it's the three, but I think even if you're not Indian, there's a two. There is a Venn diagram of the sort of like identity and culture of queerness, Appalachianness, and Indianness, where there's a lot in the center that is shared. And what is shared is this idea of your relationships with people and that like it's it's your relationships with people that make you who you are, and it's your relationships with other people that really are are the core of all of us. Um, and that nobody else is coming to save any of us. Like it's us. We're gonna take care of each other. Yes. Yes. We're we're we are each other's support and each other's family. And that core of similarity, like, I don't think people talk about that core enough. Um, I think people focus on the differences, right? Okay, my yes. skin color makes me different. My sexuality makes me different. My Someone's faith makes them different. We focus on the outside, but really, that space in the middle is the most important space. It's the space where we have such deep shared values. Um, I think there would be some people who are horrified by me saying that I think Appalachianness and queerness are inherently connected with each mm. other. But they are. I agree. Um, right, I mean, and I and I think that like, uh, if we could focus on that shared space, we would we would just get a lot further. Totally agree with it, I, and I, you know, it's it's our responsibility in a lot of ways as human beings. There are there are voices that each of us have. We each have a voice, and I think it's important that we as queer people, we as Southerners, Appalachians, we come together and we lift our voice because it is important to support each other and to look at our things that make us similar. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm a big jazz music lover, especially jazz vocals. And I've spent a lot of time, you know, I've got lots of friends who sing and stuff. I support them. I don't do what they do, but I get out and I support them. It's the exact same thing. It's really not that hard to be supportive. Right. It, it can be tantalizing to be negative about everything, but really it doesn't get us anywhere. So I like to support things to bring out the good. Yeah. I think that's where the joy is, right? If you're, if you're, how do you feed your joy? You feed it by lifting up people, not, not by putting them down and also not by being quiet. I think, um, you know, that's a thing that I think I realized a little bit about growing up, which is like, there were there was a lot of silence. Like there was a lot of silence about queerness. There was a lot of silence about difference. And I think in a lot of ways, silence was polite. Mm -hmm. um, you weren't you weren't gonna say something negative. You were just gonna <laughs> stay quiet about it. I think in the moment that we're living in right now, like silence isn't enough. No, um, it is not. And it is something that at this point in life, it, we really cannot be silent because I don't have to be the loudest voice, but my voice counts, yeah. your voice counts. And if we're silent, it reminded me, one thing that I did remember about growing up in the South was a term that I absolutely hate, but I heard it said a lot. So-and-so, a man, a woman knew their place. Mm -hmm. That's because they didn't use their voice and they were often controlled by someone else who had a loud voice. Right. That is something that in my adult life, I, I tolerate none of that because we all have a place, but being put in a place or choosing to be in a place is not a healthy situation. We have to, our voices have to be heard. Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, in some ways, I think that our voice, the volume has gone up. I also think that means the backlash goes up. Yes. 
And I think that's where then the voices of people who care about us but haven't been that loud become really important because I don't think the backlash is as big no. as us and all the people who care about us. But I think when all those people who care about us are quiet, the backlash feels incredibly large. And so I think there is this, we are in a moment where like good people who have been silent don't, can't be anymore. It's not enough to like invite me to dinner at your house. I love that. I want to eat dinner with you at your table <laughs> and I want you to call your Senator. And I want you to get out in the streets and I want you to lift up your voice and write your op-ed and do all those things. Cause we need that. And um, absolutely. Absolutely. And we are in a, we're in a situation right now that we will hear at our next elections, whether people just talk or they're willing to work. If you don't get out and vote, shit happens yeah. that we will complain about next year, 10 years from now. So we, it's important that we do our part, not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. Definitely. So I do have a very off question to ask. Do you still put salt peanuts in Coke? Uh, I haven't done it in a long time, but I do really like uh, salty and sweet together is definitely a combination I really enjoy. <laughs> I saw that in your book and I remembered that I, oh, at yeah. this point in life, I do not like it, but it was something, it was a staple of my childhood. And, you know, now we have salted caramel ice cream and stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, all you need is a Coke and peanuts. You I get the same thing. So. <laughs> That's a hundred percent right. That was the original salted caramel. <laughs> I think so. I so enjoyed our chat. Thank you so much for coming on. I just cannot say enough wonderful things about another Appalachia. It is so phenomenal. Thank you for sharing your voice with us. And do, are you working on something new now? I am. I am about 15,000 words into a second essay collection um, that's about rules and what it looks like to break and unlearn all the rules that we're taught growing up. So I, I love that. And I look forward to it. Any idea about when it might come out? No, I'm not rushing it. Um, I, I'm taking my time and just making sure the this this book took me five years, you know, and it probably took 40 something years of living to really get <laughs> So I, I sort of feel like that might be my pace is, you know, I'll be, when I'm 80, it'll come out. <laughs> you know, the important thing is the journey. So exactly. I think that's wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, uh, Dan. Thank you. Hang on for me just a second. And I'll be right back. Thanks for listening with Out With Dan. See you soon. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Out With Dan. You can find more information about this podcast and its host at outwithdan.com, on Twitter at outwithdan, and on Instagram and Facebook at gooutwithdan. This podcast is hosted by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, and the theme music is provided by bensound.com. Join us again soon for the next episode of Out With Dan.